Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. We're back, Joe DeLeon, Ryan Roberts. Today, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the 2023 NFL Draft. We've had all of the evaluation events that have occurred. We've had the Senior Bowl, the East-West Shrine Game. We've had the NFL Combine, which means we've had the biggest cogs in what is the NFL Draft machine to help guys' draft stocks either increase or decrease. So today, the purpose of today's show is now with almost a month a little more than a month remaining until the NFL draft kicks off, looking at the guys that have either had meteoric rises throughout this process since the start of the college football season or have completely fallen off the face of the earth as potential gems in this class. All that coming up on today's show. Ryan, how are you doing today? Fantastic, man. Fantastic. This is a little bit of an awkward time of the year, I guess. You know, you got to throw all the excitement of the all-star games and then your combine and then your just pro days left, right? Pro days and the all the top 30 meetings that these players have. So, it's a, you know, it's a little bit of a downtime, I guess. You know, finish up a couple evals and get ready for 2024. So, can't wait. Oh, God. The, the only you would bring up the 2024 <laughs> uh, NFL draft class on this show. But you are, you are certainly right where we're in this weird intermediary period uh, as we're finishing out and putting out most of our rankings, which is coming out on the NFL Draft Prospect Show. Uh, but in addition to that, we're waiting for the commotion to start back up, which probably won't come around until April, where we'll probably get some some crazy trades. But nonetheless, Ryan, let's take a look back at this draft process. I want to start off with our first riser here, as we've had a lot of defensive linemen pop up onto the radar. And we've talked about, at the beginning of this cycle, guys who in this defensive line class were going to ascend and be big names, but we've had even more guys put themselves into the first round picture. I don't think we can have this discussion without talking about Adi Odebuare, the Northwestern defensive lineman who is an edge is transitioning to defensive tackle and blew up the NFL combine. He also dominated at the senior bowl. Adi Odebuare, man, who is very low to the ground at six foot one, 280 pounds is a fast SOB, running a 4-4-9-40 at the NFL Combine, testing off the charts with his explosiveness numbers. I, after taking a look at Adi Odebuare, I, I get the hype, and I think that he's got the tools to be a, a day-two pick. Everything that he brings to the table is very exciting because, he, again, low to the ground, hard to block, but explosive, which could turn him into a problem at the next level. I think his process of going to the senior bowl and deciding that I'm going to showcase my skills as an interior rusher opposed to an outside edge player was probably the best decision that Adi Odebuare made. Because, I mean, Joe, he was well-liked in NFL circles. You know, he had draftable grades coming into the seasons playing defensive end for Northwestern because he is a gifted athlete. Ran 4.49 at the combine, right, at 284 pounds. He has those long arms, 34-inch arms. So – Northwestern left him on the edge because that's one of their that's probably their best athlete on the defensive side of the football this last year. But he's only 6'1 and some change. He's sub 6'2, doesn't really have the height profile to play on the edge consistently. He goes to Mobile and 
I mean, I love the fact that he was playing a lot interior, like mostly on the interior, because now I'm looking at him, I'm saying on the next level, gain a couple more pounds. You are a starting level three tech at the next level with your ability to use your quickness to win quickly on reps, be a one gap penetrator, that style. And also you could play at the point of attack because you're strong as an ox. You have really long arms. Ade Obuare, I believe, has really found a home on the interior. Definitely not an edge setter consistently at the next level, but he can even play, I think, at times in an odd man front, maybe some four, four eye, maybe five mm. in spurts, depending on the situation, right? Like you can do all those type of things. Add all that together, man. Running four four nine, having a high 30 in the vert. This kid is an explosive athlete, a gifted athlete, and I think he's really found a home on the interior of this defensive line class in 2023. By the way, whoever advised him, I don't know if it was his trainer. I don't know if it was maybe feedbacks from scouts, but whoever advised him to say, you're not really long enough to play edge, but your physical traits are going to make you a problem in the interior. Let's bulk you up a little bit. Let's bump you inside and let's see you go to work. And the big thing for me, I've seen people talk about Adeboire and say, "Uh, he doesn't really have and show these skills on film consistently which makes sense because he was playing a position he's not going to play in the NFL. There's also the other uh, narrative that gets brought up with him is we don't have tape of him playing defensive tackle. So how do we make this determination of where he belongs in the draft? I'd argue, man, him showing up on short notice at the senior bowl and causing the problems that he did. He had a sneaky week for the first couple of days. I told you this when I was there, I kept writing him down without writing his full name down. I'm just like Northwestern defensive lineman, who the hell is this kid? I've never heard of him. Why is he constantly getting penetration, blowing up rushing plays? Who is this kid and why is he causing so many problems? And then he started to be one of those guys immediately. PFF starts talking about him and he is picked up and everyone is running with his name as a big riser in this class. Uh, But I, I give him a ton of credit for how quickly he made that transition. And again, whoever advised him to make that transition is 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 uh, deserving of whatever paycheck they're getting. I mean, because if you if you go back to the preseason and into the season, Adebayo Pet was playing between 268 and 275 pounds on the edge, right? So he had to make a decision. I mean, there could have been two pathways to his valuation, right? It could have been I'm maybe even going to slim down a little bit, maybe play edge at 267 to 270 pounds from that ballpark, or which is I think the better ca- the best case scenario that's happened this year is to really understand and appreciate the fact that you become a good player on the edge at 270 pounds, or you could become a game changer, a game wrecker at 280 plus pounds on the interior. Because the thing about him is too, Joe is like, there's not bad weight on him either, man. Like he is a ball of muscle when you walk past him. So having that type of profile with the length, explosiveness, physicality, power, all those things together, I think that Adebori has made himself a whole lot of money, especially since the season has ended. Before we get to the next guy, you had dropped this tidbit when you were in Indianapolis for the combine that there's potential for him to have pushed himself into the late first round conversation. Do you still think that that is is possible just from some of the things that you were hearing? Just based on testing, Joe. I mean, honestly, like there is a really thin line between the guys that are the combine warriors and the guys that are just really good on film, but maybe aren't great testers, right? Like there's a very fine line between figuring that, that line out. I think Adebori has good film though. 
And then at the end of the day, the NFL is going to lose their marbles for a guy that ran 449 at 280 plus pounds. You can yes. talk yourself into as a defensive line coach that even though he still has a transition to make full time, even though he's not a finished product on the interior, that if I can't work, if like if I'm a coach and I'm saying, if I can't get the most out of that kid, then I suck. I'm a bad coach, right? Like you look <laughs> at that kid and say, that is my meal ticket. If I figure that out, you know, I'm not going to say he's going to be Aaron Donald, but like he should be a substantial producer as an interior rusher. He should be a playmaker at the next level. There's no doubt about it. So I, I do think he has a chance to go in late first round. If not, I would be absolutely shocked if Adi Odebori got out of the top 50 picks. And it's, I mean, at the end of the day, man, we have literally just never seen a player at 280 plus pounds running in the four fours, verticaling the way he did, broad jumping the way he did. Doing everything that he did, man, he is about as rare of an athlete as you're going to find at that position. Yeah, Odoboare is a, a gem potentially in this class. Another guy I think fits that description of who you said where coaches are going to say, if I can't coach this guy up, then I suck as a coach. Uh, Lucas Van Ness, who's the Iowa edge rusher, he has been a, a perplexing story because he wasn't even a starter at Iowa. We know that they prioritize starting upperclassmen. So he's a rotational player for the most part at Iowa. But for the reps that he got, he was a problem maker. He has all the length, all of the size that you want in a 4-3 defense event. He is a massive hulking guy. And, you know, you get the, the comments like his teammates calling him Hercules and, and all that goofy stuff. Uh, but he tested very well at the NFL Combine. He is a name that before the Combine, we just saw a random rapid surge to the point where wasn't really on the radar. And then now he's a top 10 pick. I would argue that that's a bigger surge than Otobare. Yeah, Otobare is a little more random because he's coming from Northwestern. But to see somebody go from no relevancy to now being a top 10 pick, that's pretty a pretty massive rise in draft stock. He is a very interesting player because, I mean, you mentioned a couple of the backstory stuff, right, Joe? Like 2021, he's playing a lot of defensive tackle because he was just too talented not to get on the field in some capacity, right? And then he plays a lot more on the edge this year, but he's never started a football game in his Iowa career, excuse me. He was a hockey player growing up, apparently, and his team calls him Hercules because of the eight-pack that he has at 270 pounds. He goes to the combine, man. I thought he had a really – weird kind of workouts down in Mobile because, I mean, he tested phenomenally overall, but I expected him to be kind of a short area burst guy and maybe not have like great 40 time and all that great stuff, right? But he has a tremendous 40 time. He runs a great three cone. He has a great short shuttle and his jumps aren't great, which is a little bit different. Like I expected him to be kind of this speed, the power Mm. explosiveness guy. But then he shows like, hey, maybe he's got a little more twitchiness, a little more range as a football player than people – maybe that Iowa highlighted, I think, is the best way to put it. And he's a young a young cat, a guy that's had production certainly in the time he's got. And I've seen comps all over the place of Aaron Campman that used to play with the Green Bay Packers, Chris Long that was a really good defensive end, obviously, for the Philadelphia Eagles before that with the then St. Louis Rams – He's a just impressive, impressive athlete, man. He's another guy, to your point, that if I'm a defensive line coach, I'm saying that length, that athleticism, that physicality, I got to get the most out of him, right? And he's – I will say this too. It's not just all projection with him because his game against Ohio State this year, for people that oh, haven't man. seen Lucas Van Ness, he gave Paris Johnson the best 
game of all season as far as most wins against Paris Johnson. Like he he took Paris Johnson to the woodshed a couple times, man, with that ability to convert speed to power. So he's a little raw in the sense that he hasn't played a ton on the edge as that true edge setter. But man, the traits are there for a guy like Lucas Van Ness. And it's just about getting into the right situation with the right coaching staff and really, you know, honing in on that profile he has because he has special traits as a football player. Yeah, I think that Van Ness, the game that you pinpointed is the perfect one to highlight that I believe put him on the radar because so many people were going back and watching Paris Johnson tape and you think to yourself, like, oh, let's flip on the Iowa game. They, they have some pretty good defensive linemen. And that was the case for me. And you really got those flashes of what Van Ness can do as a player. Yep. The length, the power, uh, maybe not as explosive as we thought, as you mentioned, but still a pretty good athlete. I also argue what makes somebody like Van Ness exciting, and, and this is the age-old debate that I believe us as draft nerds and maybe the outside public or other media individuals, that the debate we get into, and it's going to be for a guy that we're going to talk about in a second, of do you take the younger player who's less proven but has way more upside and athleticism, or do you take the older player that's maybe a little more developed, closer to their ceiling, but has a lower ceiling? And I think that a lot of teams – Look at somebody like Van Ness, who is a younger guy from Iowa, is a younger prospect compared to a Tyree Wilson, for example, from Texas Tech, who's also been a riser but did not make our list. Yep. Him being younger, I think a lot of teams are going to put stock in that and say, man, if, if he's where he is right now, imagine when he's 23, 24 years old and his body's fully developed. I think that's one thing that doesn't get brought up enough when we talk about these prospects. Yes, there is physical development for players, from freshman year to junior year when they're playing college football. But as adults, guys don't finish growing and developing and adding strength at 22 years old. A lot yeah. of them continue to get in better shape up until 26, 27 sometimes. So I think Van Ness is the perfect example of that of young, talented player that a lot of teams, as you mentioned, are going to be ecstatic to have the opportunity to work with. Two things that the analytical side of the community focus on a lot, Joe, is the age that you're talking about, right? That age thing is a big conversation. And the other thing is testing. And you know me, I push back on a lot of both of those areas sometimes. You know, like I think age is a little bit over – I think that's a little bit over talked about at times because that doesn't really tell you what the experience level is of a football player and what, where their development pattern has been. Like, I think you lose context with that. And I think you lose context with, with, with the um, testing sometimes too, because there's just some kids that just aren't good testers, man. Like there's just some of those guys that are really good football players that aren't great testers. But I will say this one, one position that I do tend to agree with both those things more than most is that edge? It really is, man. Like, I think age does matter. I think that athleticism at the edge position, that tr- that testing, those testing numbers, they translate a lot for me. You know, like, those really do because you have to think about it, man. The edge position now, when you're playing against the offensive tackles in today's games, like the Lane Johnsons of the world, the Teron Armsteads, the Tristan's Wirfs, like these kids that are just built on different planets. I mean, you know, we now have 300 plus pounders that are running 4-7 in the 40. Like, it doesn't make any sense, right? So be able to counteract that and to beat those players and increase space, you need to be a gifted athlete. And that's what Lucas Van Ness is, man. At 6'5", 270-plus pounds, the ability for him to run sub-4-6, to have the type of short area quickness that he showcased in Indianapolis, 
those things are traits that you bet on. So mm. I anticipate him going a lot earlier than maybe some people some people think. You know, top 10 I think is possible. Top 15 I think is certainly possible. Top 20 I think is almost a lock at this point. Because at the end of the day, man, there's just not a lot of guys that are walking around with that type of profile on the earth. Ryan, we all know that this is the anti-analytics podcast. Yes. This is the film bro podcast where we only watch films. So don't ever, well, ever Ness, bring up analytics Van again. Van Ness also <laughs> has good films. So he matches both yes. areas, sir. Film. That's all we care about is Shut film. Up, Joe. Um, up, Joe. Our, our first faller to bring up on this. So again, I said this at the top of the show. It's perspective of the whole draft cycle. And the whole draft cycle is the beginning of the college football season. Anyone who's paid attention to our work knows that we start our homework at the it, it, during the summer for the for the upcoming class. And one guy you're wrong, that was, Joe. Bro- you're wrong. I'm starting my work for 2024 in about a week and a half. So you're very wrong about this, man. Sorry, guy. You're supposed to try hard. Uh, <laughs> one guy who was brought up almost unjustifiably, but a lot at the beginning of the season as somebody who was going to take that next step was Eli Ricks, the Alabama defensive back who transferred from LSU. Yeah. And I was talking about this on another show, actually specifically about Ricks, why I felt that it was fitting to include him on this is that oftentimes guys will transfer. And then on top of that, we'll have productive seasons and a lot of season accolades. That's what puts them on these, preseason rankings lists that's what gets them on this list and as you watch the film you get more context what we saw from Eli Ricks and what I saw from him in the preseason was a a stiff player one that has physical flexibility limitations that are going to prevent him from being a first round pick so that already dropped him for me and I think that a very up and down year at Alabama where he wasn't at times even a full-time starter like there were times where he was getting rotated in and out there were some some thoughts and speculation on why that was happening, but Eli Ricks, man, I, I, is he a day three pick at this point? I don't. He is somebody who was almost a guaranteed lock to be a top fifteen pick. It felt like at a period of time, and he has now dropped to where uh, he's probably going to be a day three selection because of especially because of all the other guys at this point in the process that have pushed up ahead of him, like Joey Porter Jr., like Christian Gonzalez, uh, like Keely Ringo. Like Devon Witherspoon, there's so many guys that have moved up ahead of him, and Eli Ricks seems to have stayed the same. He's a weird player. He's a really weird player. I mean, I remember his freshman year in 2020, I guess it was, right? The COVID year? Yeah. He he looked good. Like, there looked like there was a ton of upside. I know he was a former five-star recruit, so, like, no one should be shocked that Eli Ricks did some nice stuff early on in his career at LSU. I played opposite of Derek Stingley that year as well. 2021 was very up and down. 2022, there's just not a lot of film to work off of. I mean, there's some good Alabama film out there, but it's not a ton, man. Like, it's just not enough. And ultimately, Joe, like, I just think there's some limitations with Eli Ricks. I think people get excited about the 6-1, good length, and, and sure, I get that. But I just think that he's a guy for me that always worries me to make the transition to the next level because he's a little bit grabby. And I don't think he's a great athlete. I think he's a good, solid athlete, but I think that he does struggle to counteract the guys that can really take the top off the defense. Like I think he does struggle with that a ton. So I look, I look at a guy like a like a Eli Ricks, and I just say, man, that's a, that's a day three dart throw. That's what he is, you know. Like maybe it's early day three, maybe it's mid day three. I'm not exactly sure where he comes off the board. Ultimately, though, I don't think you take this kid in the first three rounds just because I don't think that he gives you 
a clear answer on what his upside is. Because mm. if this was a young man that just had lack of film but had incredible physical attributes, I would be like, okay, I can take a gamble on that type of kid earlier well, that's than that's like Joey Porter. That's that's what Joey Porter is in this class and some of these other guys and Christian Gonzalez is that maybe there are some inconsistencies, but they yeah. are very explosive athletes. And that's why they're up in the first round conversation and Rick's is, is not. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think when we talked about him in the summer, I think I said that he was scheme specific and I still agree with that. You know, like I think that this is an off man, off zone type of corner that I think he just lacks the traits to be a man on man cover guy. So interesting decision for him to uh, declare for the 2023 NFL draft after not playing a ton. But I think guys like Kool-Aid McKistry and they have the – was it Terry and Arnold is the other corner, I believe, right? Like the younger guy yeah. that – you know, I think they – I think that reps were going to be tough for Eli Ricks to come by, come by uh, consistently next year at Alabama. So I think he just – writing was on the wall. Was Ricks even a combine invite? I don't see combine numbers for him, but he's... I don't think he tested. I think he was invited. Oh, he was. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's got the no-bull gear on in his picture, but he doesn't have any testing. Uh, 6'2", though. That's good. And there's, there's usually a reason that people don't test at the combine, Joe. There's usually a reason. Usually, <laughs> you're either hurt or just a really bad athlete. You yes. know who's not a bad athlete that uh, should have been off the top, the biggest riser so far, is Anthony Richardson, who has continued to be the most controversial name to bring up. Is this your favorite player? Is this your favorite favorite player in the class? It might be. I love Anthony Richardson because he's so explosive. He's 6'4", he's 244. He runs the 4'4", 440. Say that three times fast. He has the 40-inch vertical. He's so explosive. He's got a huge arm. I understand there's stuff that we need to work with. But you want to know why I love him, Ryan? Why? And it's it's one of the reasons that you, you and I tend to uh, disagree on content styles uh-huh. is I love hyping him up because it pisses everybody off. Joe, that's not. Anthony Richardson pisses everyone. It's funny to me, though. It's just there is no in-between. Like separate from that, though, Ryan, yeah. there is no in-between with Anthony Richardson. He is the most volatile evaluation. But I think those – that appreciate traits like we talked about at the top, understand what Anthony Richardson brings to the table. And we've said it a million times on this show is that he is, yes, he is green, but I would argue he is more inexperienced than he is underdeveloped. He needs more reps. He just needs to get on the field more. And I think that an athlete that good that looks natural, but still learning how to properly play the position with only 10 games, 10 games under his belt, Anthony Richardson has all pro written all over him. And again, it is always going to be the age old debate of like, do I take this traitsy kid who has no proven results? Am I going to get fired? It's possible. It's very, very possible. But it's worth risking for a guy like Patrick Mahomes in my eyes who fits this description. Man, Patrick Mahomes was pretty dang good at Texas Tech, though, man. Like, he was pretty but dang But he was good. boomer bust is what a lot of people considered him to be. Yeah, I, I get it, man. I get it. Look, I, I'll say this, Joe. I'll say this about Richardson. And I, I've talked about this on the radio, I feel like, 97 times since the combine man, got he's over. he asked me to. Man, I expect I expected Anthony Richardson to test really well at the combine. What I what I said, I'd be lying if I said that I thought he was going to be the greatest tester in quarterback history at the combine. Like that would be a lie, right? That part would be a lie. So it's impressive, but nothing Anthony Richardson did at the combine changed my opinion on him at all. It didn't. Like he's a great athlete. I thought like you saw during the the uh, the throwing session of the combine 
that there were some really great moments and there were some that you're just like, eh, you can't throw a 10 yard out inside brother. <laughs> like that's a pick six, you know? And so like those inconsistencies, I think you coined it perfectly is the fact that he is a volatile player, but not a volatile player just based upon what people's opinions are of him. I think that there are two real realities for Anthony Richardson that people need to understand. It's okay to be really excited about him because I am. I'm very excited about him. If he lands in the right system, I think he could be a superstar. No exaggeration. I think he could be a superstar. But there mm-hmm. is another reality. If he lands in the wrong situation, he could get a GM fired in a couple of years. Yes. That's the facts, right? So either he can make a coach and a general manager look very good or he can make them look like they don't deserve a job anymore. Like, I don't think there's much in between, man. This is no, a there boomer bu- there's, this is a boomer bus prospect. I don't this- think anybody can question that his upside is phenomenal. But the fact of one-year starter, sporadic production, a guy that only has 10 starts under his belt, that usually doesn't work out at the NFL level. It usually doesn't. Does it mean it won't? No. But if Anthony Richardson is successful, he would be a little bit of an outlier. From the production perspective, from the experience perspective, I agree that he needs to play. He needs to see live bullets, in my opinion. But the problem is, is that if you're drafting high, usually you're not a good football team. So some general managers, their job might be on the line, right? So like, do I have time to give Anthony Richardson that much leeway to get better, to get better, to get better? That's why situation matters so much. I like Anthony, but I... I think Anthony would even say himself that situation is going to be very important for my developments. Very important for him. The the way that I see this to fit that description of either get somebody fired or is going to be the reason why they get a big raise in a, in a contract extension. I see a team like the Oakland Raiders. That's their demise. That's Anthony Richardson's demise. That is Josh McDaniel's demise because – Let's be honest, he is not the best developer of quarterback talent. He is also the, not the best nurturer of quarterback talent. He is going to need a veteran. That's what that situation needs. But I think the counter to that, I look at, and I don't know if they're going to pick a quarterback, but I think that the Lions or the Seahawks are the perfect situation for Anthony Richardson because both teams have veteran quarterbacks with contracts, and Geno Smith just got a new contract that leaves a three-year window for Anthony Richardson to do his thing, develop, and then let Geno go off into the sunset at 35 years old, and he's probably going to be at the end of his career at that point. Let's be honest. Geno Smith is not somebody who physically is going to get better at the age of 35. So for a team like the Seahawks that has been gifted an opportunity to pick in the top 10, and, and the Lions here to pick in the top 10 because of them getting those massively lucrative trades, I think that those are the teams that need to take advantage of it. But I just don't know if that's going to happen. And I I don't think that that's going to happen because someone stupid like the Raiders is going to draft them off of excitement. That was uh, that was who we gave him to in the mock draft, right? Didn't we give him to the Raiders? I thought so. I, yeah, because then we gave Will Levis to the Falcons, uh, right? So I'm like 98% I sure think that's so. true. Yeah, yeah. Um, pr- prayers up for Anthony Richardson if he ends up at the. Uh, I'm about right. na- ninety. Yeah, number sure. seven, Anthony. And yeah. 90, yep, you're 100. Prayers up to Anthony Richardson <laughs> if you end up on the uh, the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah, man. I um, mean, yeah, but I mean, it, it it again, man. Like, I'm not trying to harp on the same points again, but I mean, yeah, the Lions would be a great situation for him. But the Lions, I think, are also in a position where 
You're going into the third year under Dan Campbell. They probably want to try to get into that winning window here very shortly, right? And that defense is bad. That defense is a bad unit right now. So they probably balk on quarterback this year, in my opinion. Maybe they take someone day two. Like maybe they take a Hendon Hooker in like second or third round to develop, per se, or something like that. But I think that they might balk a little bit. The Seattle Seahawks is a good situation. Because Pete Carroll is so entrenched there that if they have a bad season, let's say, like, it's fine. It's Pete Carroll. Like, you're good, man. Like, (laughs) he he has done so much in his Seahawks career that you look past a a bad year or two. Like, you can look past those things. And I think that most people, like, the reason that Geno Smith ended up getting a kind of a base of 25 mil a year after the signing bonus and everything is because, like, they're, I think they're, the Seahawks believe in, in Geno Smith as far as what he did this past year. But I think you also understand, like, this guy was a journeyman before he had this great year, right? So, like, there's a possibility that he ends up not being the guy in a year or two type of thing. So I, I think that the Seahawks will be a good situation. I just really hope that whoever – drafts Anthony Richardson has a clear understanding of what they need from him early on, right? Because it it could be sink or swim time for him early on if you throw him into the fire. And not every quarterback has the resolve to fight through that adversity. And I'm just very curious to see how it works out for Anthony. We will see how that one turns out. Ryan, our next faller that we've got is Jordan Battle, another Alabama defensive back. So the interesting thing with Jordan Battle is I remember at one point in the previous cycle – Uh, The Alabama safety was considered to actually last year be a a late first round pick. There were debates of if this kid declares he is going to be amongst the top safeties selected from the media. Make sure you say that from the the media media side. Yes. He decides to go back. And I think that when we evaluated him, I was still understanding of why he could fit as a late first round pick, early second round pick. Like I thought there was a lot to work with. He's a very smart player. He's a very... A wily veteran, if you will, because he's played a lot of games and he's playing under a great defensive back coach in Nick Saban. But the way that the process works out is the Jordan battle stayed the same. He didn't improve. He didn't progress. So him returning for another year doesn't do him any benefit. And as we know, what have you done for me lately? We've got some other guys, I think, that have maybe pushed themselves up ahead of him. In general, this safety class is not that sexy. It's not that good of a group. Like, I don't even know who is – there's not even really a, a first-round safety on the radar now that Brian JL Branch. Skinner's hurt. Brian Branch. Yeah, Brian, Brian Branch is possibly on the radar. I think most of those guys are going to go in the second round for the first grouping of safeties. So someone like Jordan Battle, I just – I don't feel like he's brought up at all. He went to the Senior Bowl. He had a really quiet Senior Bowl and has not been a name that we have discussed very much lately. I, I think that this is a situation where I think the media hype and what the NFL actually thought are kind of like meeting a little bit here. Cause I think that the media definitely, they, I think the media definitely likes Jordan battle more than maybe the NFL likes Jordan battle. And saying that, I still think that someone's going to like Jordan battle on day two. Like I still think that's going to happen because he is very smart and he actually tested a little better than I thought, Joe. I think he ran like four, five, six or something like that at yeah. his size. I'm like, all right, that's fine. Like pretty solid tester for what his profile is, is kind of a solid but unspectacular athlete. And uh, I 
I do think, though, that he's going to be a quality football player at the next level. I think he could be a starter relatively early in his career because I think he does have a high floor. I think more than just the riser element, of, I mean, the faller element of this conversation, though, is that maybe the media was higher on Jordan Battle early on in the process than what the NFL was. And I think that those two things are just kind of meeting right now. Still a good football player, still rock solid, just maybe not the star that he was kind of portrayed early on in the process. Well, the funny thing, too, with Jordan Battle and the correlation that we can pick up between him and Eli Ricks, again, I'm I'm telling you guys right now, our, our listeners, when we start talking about the 2024 cycle, go look at the preseason 2024 early watch list, and there's going to be a bunch of Alabama DBs on it. It's just one of those things that we do where we always put Alabama uh, – we always put Alabama defensive backs on these lists because we know that they are – for the most part, pro ready. And they're usually in the discussion, just like at one point, a lot of Ohio state DBs were also being propped up and put in these conversations. I would say yeah, what, what happened uh, to Ohio state defensive backs, man, last couple of years. Hasn't been I great, blame man. Ryan day for that, man. I blame Ryan, but Ohio state wide receivers is another yes. cliche. Uh, Georgia defensive lineman is another cliche. And it's just part of the process. It always happens where there's one school that we just end up throwing guys into the mix. And I don't think we properly do our due diligence, but Jordan Battle, still a good football player. I just don't think he lived up to that possible expectation that we had for him. One guy, though, that Ryan, dude, we both love and that has been so fun to follow this draft class, but has been odd, is Will McDonald, the edge rusher yeah. from Iowa State. So we talked about this ad nauseum the entire season leading up to it at the end of the season. Will McDonald is a tall, lean, twitchy, long edge rusher from Iowa State. Yep. And he played in a 3-3 stack where he was asked to play head up, hand in the dirt as an outside rusher, as a guy who's supposed to contain the edge. And he's he's not built like that. This is not <laughs> a 280-pound 3-4 <laughs> defensive end that is supposed to be holding the edge the way that he asked, he was asked to do it. He is going to play a different role in the NFL. He is going to be a stand-up rusher. He has all of the ability to be a stand-up outside linebacker. But the thing that makes, I think, him very promising is that despite him being asked to play a different role, and this gets brought up a lot, and I think there's so much truth to it, the guy did really well for what he was asked to do at 240 pounds. For as light as he was, he managed to hold his own at a position that usually requires 40 to 50 more pounds to play. That's why I'm excited about Will McDonald. And as he has transitioned and showcased his athleticism at the NFL Combine and at the Senior Bowl, he has to be brought up as one of the biggest risers. This maybe even a mid-first-round pick at this point. I mean, yeah, Joe. Will McDonald is a really fascinating player because of the simple fact that he isn't going to be asked. He's not going to be asked to do anything of what he did at Iowa State. You're correct. I mean, he wasn't even 240 pounds. He was listed in last spring at 226 pounds when NFL scouts came in and measured him. So he's playing that four, four eye type of role at probably around 230 pounds during his career, which is just absolutely wild, man. And like you said, he did a very good job of doing it despite not being built that way. But then you see the, you see at the senior bowl, he's used more as that stand-up rusher, wide nine alignments, that type of work. Cause this is a true outside track pass rusher at six, three, and Omniro, six foot four, 241 pounds. I think he was 239 at the combine. He has an 11 foot broad. Uh, I think it was 
36 inches in the in the vertical, which is actually mm-hmm. not what his goal was because he was a 6'10 high jumper coming out of high school. And he was obviously sick Scary. coming into that combine workout. So he yeah. ended up not running a flu well. game, man. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, he is – I mean, he's a special mover, man. And he's got length for days, almost 35-inch arms. He's probably going to run somewhere in the four fives in the 40-yard dash when he tests at the pro day. Kid's a freak show. And the thing that makes him different is he's a true outside track rusher in a class that doesn't have a lot of true outside track rushers. There's a lot of power rushers in this class, not a lot of true outside track kids. With his ability to bend around that corner, reduce rush angles, this kid I think can be special at the next level. I think it's a double-digit sack artist. I think that he has a lot of upside as that stand-up rusher. Will McDonald has all the goods to be a really good football player at the next level. Yeah, I love what Will McDonald has done during this process, and he's somebody that we continue to bring up. The testing is is the silly part that we know is just a crazy explosive athlete. Uh, to flip it to our last faller that we've got, let's see if we've got time to also get one more riser in on today's show. Andre Carter, another edge rusher who at one point was actually considered to be drafted ahead of Will McDonald. Yeah. He's the edge rusher from Army, who at one point was almost not in this draft class because of a uh, a bill that was passed on that's completely above my head of understanding of all that stuff, but he's still able to be a part of this NFL draft class. He's still able to pursue his NFL career. He participated at the senior bowl. And at the beginning of this season, everyone was talking about how this could be the highest drafted army kid ever. And we talked about him on this show. It's got stupid length for a guy coming out of army. He's a pretty flexible player, but as the season progressed, He's another guy who didn't take that step forward and then shows up at the Senior Bowl and is non-existent. There were some flashes, but for the most part, I thought got bullied a bit by some of these big, strong offensive tackles that he had to face off against. And then on top of that, one of the more pedestrian combines that we've got. And I don't know if it's it's a weird take, but the the strength and conditioning at a place like Army is going to be different than it is uh, at even somewhere like Memphis. It's just I don't know if it's natural to prepare – a guy like Andre Carter for the NFL. And now I don't even know if he's a day two pick. Uh, to be completely honest, I, I think that he has done enough to push himself into the day three conversation after all these other guys are popping up ahead of him. I don't think anybody can take a shot on this kid until late day three, Joe. Like, I don't think you can take a chance because, I mean, what was he, he was built off of being a trade pass rusher in the preseason. That's what we loved, you know? Six, six and a half, 256 pounds. Nearly 34 inch arms, over an 82 inch wingspan. Like this kid has the look. But then he comes to the combine, man. And I mean, some of these numbers are terrible. Like, let's just call it what it is. It's not even that they're not good or they're like they're pedestrian. Like, they're bad. There's some bad, bad numbers as an edge rusher. I mean, he had, I believe it was 30 inch vertical, 9 1 in the broad. I mean, explosive numbers were bad. He didn't run the 40, he ran a pedestrian 20 yard shuttle. And not to mention, man, he only had 11 reps on the bench. And I know he's got longer arms, but yeah. 11 reps at two, two, at uh, two and a quarter at 256 pounds, that's a bad number, man. It's just a bad number. And when you look at all the numbers kind of combined, bad combine, senior bowl, there was like a couple flashes, but otherwise he was kind of getting dominated, especially in the run game as far as being able to counteract physicality. He's a bendy kid. He's got ability. But he is an ultimate, like, 
day three dart throw at the end of the draft and hope that you can stash him on a practice squad for a year. Like that's what you really want out of, out of, out of an Andre Carter. You want to build in that frame. You want to add strength. You want to make sure that he's in a proper strength and conditioning, um, uh, proper strength and conditioning, you know, um, plan and all that great stuff, right. With a good staff and practice with him every single day, get some, get some nuance to himself as a pass rusher, add tools to the, to the toolbox, this is the ultimate developmental prospect at the end of day three. It's just been it's been a disastrous process so far for Andre Carter. Ryan, last guy here to wrap up the show very quickly. Yeah. Deontay Banks from Maryland, who I, I tweeted this out. Maryland has had some of the most stupid athletes that they have recruited, but have produced quite literally no results. They have not had any production at all from Maryland. But Deontay Banks, man, dude, he had a really great combine. And he's somebody who hasn't been on the radar, and he's a good example of test well at the Combine. We'll go back and watch the film because we weren't even thinking about considering you, and he just made the back end of our first-round mock draft. Yeah, I, I think it's possible. I think that this kid could go in the end of the first round as after all these other guys go because there could be a quick early run on DBs, and somebody needing a DB to – to round out their roster might pull the trigger on a Deontay Banks. Well, it was like two weeks, uh, two or three weeks before the combine, Dane Brugler had put in a mock draft that he was in the first round, and people were just kind of like, and I mean, because Dane Brugler is incredibly plugged in at the athletic. He's a very smart evaluator. He's the best in the business, in my estimation. And you're just kind of like, huh, I didn't really know anything about Deontay Banks. And he was he was obviously a Richard Jr. that declared early, but six foot, 197 pounds. Has 31 and 3 8 inch arms with 31 and a half inch arms. Good length for the position. I mean, Joe, he tested like an all-time athlete, man. 4.35 in the 40, 42 inch vert, 11.4 broad jump. I mean, those athletic testing numbers are just bonkers, man, for him. And, you know, kind of building off of good film this past year with the type of upside he has. If Deontay Banks puts it all together, man, He's got special traits. I just think that we need to understand that like, there is a little bit of a work in progress here. He still needs mm. to develop. But, man, another gifted, talented, height, weight, speed freak at the cornerback position. And we have a lot of them in this year's class, obviously. A lot of them. And, again, for some reason, a lot of them are coming from the University of Maryland. That's good note to wrap us up on Joe DeLeon, Ryan Roberts. Folks, thank you for tuning in. We'll be back with more coming at your way. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.